0: Well, in case you missed it, I am not uh, Bryce Hales, the pastor of this church. Um, I'm Michael Bottomley. I come up from San Diego today uh, to bring God's word. So thank you for having me. The series that you're going through, going through the book of Mark, um, we actually did it recently at our church about a year ago. Um, and so there's uh, some things that are still kind of fresh in my mind as I think through uh, the passage for today. Uh, Some other things that are not so fresh, but I hope to um, that God will uh, make those fresh for you this morning. Um, The passage that we're going to look at is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And if you are new to um, opening up a Bible and not that familiar to where to get around in there, there's some Bibles for you uh, under the chair in the beginning of the row. That's going to be on page 840. Okay, 840 in that, Bible, that blue Bible there. Uh, the scriptures, Mark 5 21 through 43. This is the Word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet This is God's word. Yeah, I mentioned in the call to worship the idea of waiting and having patience. Uh, I am not actually a big fan of waiting for things. Uh, I don't know many people who really like to wait uh, for for many things. Uh, I think needing to wait can tell you a lot about yourself. Uh, and it can tell you a lot about other people as well. Uh, Will Farrell said that before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet service <laughs> to see who they really are. Right? Uh, because there's something about waiting, waiting for change, waiting for you know, desired outcomes, uh, people to come into your life or people to fall out of your life. Uh, something about waiting really tests who we are and what our character is. Um, And unlike any other things, how are you at waiting? How are you at waiting? Uh, And not just waiting, but how are you when you're waiting? Uh, Because it's not just waiting to say, yeah, I'm good at waiting, but what is your character like when you're waiting? You know, the Christian faith is actually a waiting faith. Uh, And what I mean by that is that uh, Christianity is a religion that says things have been accomplished in the past. Wonderful, incredible, magnificent things that can never be changed and that affect the course of history for every human being on this planet. But yet at the same time, we wait for a lot of the promises of God to be fulfilled. We wait. Jesus said that he would return, that he would make all things new, make everything right. And we wait and we wait and we wait for it. And we wonder, God, how long When are you going to make things new for my life? When are you going to make things right in this world? And in the book of Mark, uh, Mark's focus in this whole book is actually about the kingdom of God. Uh, And one thing he wants to draw our attention to today is that he's declaring that God's kingdom is a kingdom of waiting. A kingdom of waiting faith. So I'm going to draw out three points from this text about a faith of waiting. And the first thing that we see is that waiting faith, Frustrates our fear Waiting faith frustrates our fear Now we have two stories to compare here Uh, The first story is about a man named Jairus He was a ruler of the synagogue And a ruler of the synagogue was someone who had great authority They had a great standing with the Jewish religious community Uh, They usually had considerable, considerable wealth And were very highly morally respectable Okay, so Jairus was someone who had been revered and respected by others. He was a strong man, a successful man, devoted to God. So when you saw him, he had his life put together. There's a guy who's got it. And yet this strong, successful stand-up guy comes kneeling at the feet of Jesus. Verse 23 tells us why he says, My little daughter is dying. In verse 25, we have this woman here. And for those of you who like uh, literary devices, what Mark is doing here as he's recording this passage for us is he's giving us what's called a narrative sandwich. Okay, And then a narrative sandwich is a device when the writer wants to use a comparison. So he begins with something puts something in the middle, and then puts the bread in at the end of the same thing. Okay, So this is a narrative sandwich. And when this is used, it's used to to um, show direct comparison. So this is what Mark is trying to draw us to, to understand. He's saying, I want you to compare what's going on here. Hey, I want you to see what's happening. Compare these two uh, people. And these two people couldn't be any different. Uh, Jairus was strong successful, Uh, this woman couldn't have been any different. Uh, When it says that she was subject to bleeding for 12 years, this tells us something very important about her. It tells us that she would have been uh, completely religiously unclean. So she would have been away from the religious, from the spiritual, the church community. She would have been segregated from religious life so she wouldn't have been able to be involved in the social life of the community or the uh, the communal life at all. So she couldn't participate in temple practices. Uh, she couldn't. She would be separated from other worship worshipers. She couldn't attend prayer meetings or even potlucks or music events on Sunday afternoons. By Jason Reed, okay? They. She would be completely cut off. No social interaction with. People that believed the same thing that she believed she wanted to be around. No matter how many doctors she went to, she got the same message. In fact, worse messages. It's been getting worse and worse over 12 years. Her social standing was in the gutter. You see how different they are? But yet, both of their circumstances, uh, even though they're different, they're going through a similar struggle both are waiting and they're struggling with fear while they're waiting. Jairus says, there is no cure, I'm going to lose my daughter. This woman says, there is no cure for me and my health will get worse and I'll completely, continually be shut out. Both very real, very intense fears of what might happen. See, I think at the root of fear is a loss of hope. It's a loss of hope. It's, it's the things that we hope for in life, when they seem like they're going to get taken away, or we're not going to have them, or they're going to be altered differently, we start to fear those things because our hopes are being, are being dashed. This woman had gone to every doctor and nothing could help. This man had probably talked and prayed to everybody and nothing helped. See, fear arises when it looks like our hopes are not going to come true. Uh, I'll I'll share something with you just currently, that I'm in a situation, without getting into all the details, where I am losing hope, and it's honestly very scary. Uh, And it produces great fears in me. I'm fearful what the future is going to look like. I'm fearful about what finances are going to look like. Uh, fearful of certain family and a friendship interactions, what those are going to look like. Uh, there, there's a lot of, a lot of fear because I don't have the hope of a future that I really thought and wanted and planned for. And so a lot of fears come up. I don't know what it is for you, but you know, in our current American political landscape, there are many Americans all across the political spectrum that are full of fear because of certain leaders, certain policies, and certain decisions that are not giving much hope. Okay? And because they don't have hope that things won't get better, they're fearful. What is it for you? In your personal life, what are some of your greatest fears? I don't know if you have a, a pen handy and paper handy, but if you do, or even just on your phone, write down two, two or three of your greatest fears. Write down two or three of your greatest fears and take some time to think about them. Okay? Because it, it, it may be, and see how they relate to your, your hopes. Uh, because it may be that your greatest hope is to have socially upright children. Okay? Uh, so you fear not being a successful parent. It could be that your greatest hope is a strong and lasting marriage, and so you fear uh, confrontation in your mar- in your marriage because it seems like that could put your marriage in peril. Uh, it could be that you have put your greatest hope in the existence of this country as it is, and so you fear anything that looks different. Uh, you see, see how this works? Uh, the things that we don't have much hope for begin to instill fears in us because at the root of fear is a loss of hope and both Jairus and this woman have lost hope and they feared however I want you to see something that their fears drove them to a greater hope their fears drove them to a greater hope everything had failed Jairus everything had failed this woman and they realized there was only one place they could go this is, and honestly, this is one of the good things about fear, uh, that fear can drive us to find a greater hope than the hopes we've put our hope in. <laughs> Does that make sense? Fear can drive us to find a greater hope uh, than the hopes we've placed our hope in. If our hopes are not coming true, if they're threatened, it brings fear, and then can fear and actually be an opportunity for us to find a greater hope. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay. And so what happens in our lives is that our present, your present stability in life is only as good as what you place your hope in. Our present stability in life is only as good and as strong as what we place our hope in. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. Believe in what? Believe in yourself? No, we couldn't do that. We wouldn't change things. Believe in a better future? Well, what promise was there of that? Both Jairus and this woman believed and trusted in the power of God in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19 tells us that in Jesus, we have an anchor for our soul. Uh, and, you know, like an anchor um, that is thrown into the water, plunging to the bottom, it holds the boat secure. It's not, it's not going to drift too far, but on the surface, there could be a lot of junk going on, all right? A lot of wind, a lot of waves, a lot of moving back and forth, but yet there's this stability holding firm and secure. And this is what um, the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Uh, is that when you have your faith and hope and you place your hope in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, whatever is going on on the surface of life, whatever pain, whatever struggle, whatever emotional ups and downs you have, whatever your marriage looks like, whatever difficulties at work, whatever finances look like or academics or whatever it is, you may be moved and shaken by it. That's natural and normal. It's on the surface of life. But it will not destroy you if your anchor is secure. That you have certainty for your soul in this life and the next. And so you can wait. We can learn to wait. Because we have an anchor. Friends, I don't know what area of your life or if you're in a season right now where you're feeling hopeless. Are you feeling fearful? I want you to consider this when you think about those two or three fears that you have. Could it be that you want something, someone, some success, some degree, some feeling, some political party, your good looks, some physical strength, your good morals, whatever it is? Could it be the that's the thing that you're looking to for your hope in life? What would it look like for you to place your faith and your hope in something secure and more powerful than any of those things? You see, awaiting faith, waiting on the Lord frustrates our fear. Right? It begins to get, it doesn't necessarily get rid of all of our fear, but it begins to get rid of all of our fear. And it's, it's, it says, no matter what I'm going through right now, no matter how hard, no matter how fearful I could be, I know, I know there's something more certain, more secure than anything else. That I know because Jesus lived perfectly for me, that He died for me, that He rose from the dead, that He ascended to heaven, that He will come again, that I can know those things and it starts starts to dissipate the fear in our lives about what we are hoping life would look like. Waiting faith frustrates our fear, but secondly, waiting faith produces patience. Um, now, am, look at Jesus' patience in this passage. Uh, Jesus, who has the patience. Uh, you know, imagine Jairus' anxiety during all of this. His daughter is dying, and Jesus stops to help someone else. See that? The, the, this woman who's, who has a chronic condition is getting more attention than a child who's on the verge of death, right? It kind of sounds like some of our local emergency rooms. You know, you walk in with something that is urgent importance to you, like your head is bleeding profusely, uh, and someone who has a cold is getting in before you, but and, and it's hard to wait. But imagine Jairus or the disciples, and they say, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? Let's, let's go. Come on. Let's hurry. This girl is, is, is dying. What are you doing? And yet Jesus takes the time, in verse 32, it says, to keep looking around. He's looking around for who touched his cloak. Finally, until this woman comes to him. And then while Jesus is standing there, men from Jairus' house come and say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Can you imagine? Jairus' last hope was Jesus, and now it looked as though Jesus had failed him. Just believe? Are you kidding me? How do you like that when you're in a major life struggle and someone says, just have faith. Just believe. You're like, are you serious? That does not help me right now. Right? Right? And Jairus is like, My daughter is dead. Why didn't you act more quickly? Why did you wait? And when Jesus speaks to Jairus, he's saying, in essence, Trust me, be patient. And Jesus' sense of timing just confounds us, doesn't it? God's sense of timing confounds us. Uh, Last time I, I was here, I mentioned to you that my son Jacob is obsessed with the game Super Mario Galaxy. Um, for those of you who know that on the, the Wii, the old the old Wii. But he's only allowed to play video games on Friday and Saturday. Okay? And I'm not kidding you, but Sunday morning, Sunday morning after playing for two days straight, it seems, seems like it's every day. Sunday morning he asked me, Daddy, how many days till Friday? <laughs> I am not kidding you. It, it's like every, and then I tell him, well, it's five days from now. But that doesn't stop him from asking every single day. Uh, And it doesn't help that he doesn't really understand the concept of five days. Like, that that could be like this, it could be forever. Um, But he doesn't have a clue how long, how many sleeps it is before he can play again. For me, five days is nothing. For him, five days is the entire length of the universe. You know, it, it just could be, he did, it's just forever. And so when Friday arrives, I can hardly believe that he gets to play the game already, and he's been dying to play and just waiting and waiting. Uh, and I wonder, you know, in our in God's timing, how how often we're like this with God, where we're saying, "God, get me out of this situation as fast as possible." God, why aren't you responding? I've been praying. I've been waiting for this physical ailment to be, to be over, to be finished. I've been asking for years, why haven't you healed me yet? You know, God, I've been struggling with this sin for decades, and I, I cannot beat it. Why are you so slow in finding me freedom for it? It could be, it could be as bad as Jairus. My family member is dying. Why don't you heal him? Why don't you heal her? Now, now, I want to say something that's 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 pretty strong, um, and I only say it because I also realize that I I do this myself. But let me say it: How dare we think we know what God's the best timing is? I don't like to hear that, but how dare we? how dare we think that we know better than an omniscient omniscient god the maker of life how arrogant can we be this is hard to hear because could it be that god really needs to have our self righteousness and our arrogance knocked out of our hearts not saying that this might be that this is the case, but is God perhaps delaying? Does He want us to wait and to learn how to wait and develop patience, to teach us, to transform us into something? Jairus and this woman have been waiting and waiting for a deliverance. And look, Jesus may have waited to heal Jairus' daughter. Maybe to produce patience in Jairus. Patience to wait for the magnificent power of God to work. But look at Jesus. All he has to do is take the little girl by her hand and gently say, little girl, arise. Uh, Tim Keller says this about this passage. He says, Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, Death itself is nothing but sleep. Are you trying to hurry, Jesus? Are you impatient with the waiting? Let him take you by the hand. Let him do what he wants to do. He loves you completely. He knows what he's doing. Soon it will be time to wake up. Friends, you see, this faith in Jesus is a waiting faith. It begins to produce patience. And then lastly, uh, and hopefully not as long, uh, that waiting faith humbles the heart. Waiting faith humbles the heart. What do I mean? Well, this is important to note, that both Jairus and this woman, they come and they fall at the feet of Jesus. See verse 22 and 23? Jairus is pleading, Uh, In verse 33, he's trembling with fear at what Jesus might do and what he could do. But both come falling at the feet of Jesus. See, and this is what waiting faith does. Waiting faith causes us to fall at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because a person with waiting faith knows how little little power they actually have, and it humbles them. person with waiting faith knows how little power they have and it humbles them. In my present situation, I am realizing more and more of how little control I have. And that really sucks because I love to have control in life. And perhaps I should say I have not little control. I have no control over things that are going on. And it's very humbling. uh, Because I can't change a person. I can't transform someone's heart. I can't control the future. Both Jairus and this woman recognized that there's something incredible about Jesus. And they would have heard about Jesus, that, about his, his power, his great acts of power. Otherwise, they would have never approached him this way. They knew who had the power to control things and change things, and it humbled them. The 19th century American pastor and author, Philip Brooks, said this, if you want to be humble, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. 17th century English Presbyterian Pastor John Flavel said this, they that know God will be humble and they that know themselves will be Cannot be proud. Knowing Jesus will humble you. And it is the humble heart that God receives. So, how can we, in all of this, how can we trust? How can we trust God's power will end up frustrating our fears and producing patience in us and will humble us? How can you know that? Well, it's because of the cross of Jesus that the cross, God's power was on display. His great power was on display. He conquered sin, death, and hell for you and for me. That's not a small thing. God's power through Jesus eradicates our greatest fear so that with the Apostle Paul, we can say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? He says, thanks be to God. He gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see God's power on display. And at the cross, we see God's patience with us. That he is so patient that instead of punishing mankind right then and there for its sin, God placed sin, our sin on the shoulders of Jesus. That God is still patient with us. He's not wanting that anyone should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. Friends, that should begin to produce patience with us when we see how patient He is with us. And at the cross of Jesus, we see true humility on display. That though Jesus had all the power to do whatever He wanted and could have done, that we could have called an army of angels to rescue him and take him out of his pain and suffering. He humbled himself all the way to death on a cross for you and for me. And that should eradicate our pride because there is nothing in us that deserves that. No good morals. No great looks. No success. Nothing that deserved that. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe us anything. He simply saved us out of His grace and mercy. So, what, so what can we do in response to all this? I think first, it's fall at the feet of Jesus. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. See that in this kingdom of waiting. That power only comes to those who are willing to humble themselves. And when we do that, God will give us exactly what he knows we need. And uh, Keller continues on in his passage and he says this. He says, let Jesus take you by the hand. Let him do what he wants to do. He loves you completely. He knows what he's doing. And soon it will be time to wake up. So friends, brothers and sisters, wait for Jesus to come into your situation. Wait for him to take you by the hand and say, I say to you, get up. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, I confess that for me and... Perhaps for many others here that waiting is a difficult game. Uh, Waiting is a difficult concept for us for while we're waiting, we get impatient, we get angry, we get frustrated, we get apathetic, uh, and we lose all the things, all the fruits of the Spirit that you want us to have. For God, your design is for us to be full of the Spirit, full of life. Not full of anxiety and worry and anger and all the all these things that that come as we uh, as we struggle with waiting God the hardest thing is to wait on you because you know it's in many respects we want to see what's right here what's right now what's right what's <coughs> tangible in front of us, and even the people who saw you in the person of Jesus had trouble waiting so it's natural for us mm-hmm. to have this these problems, these troubles, this impatience. But we call upon you, God, for us to lean into you, to rely on you, to have you take us by the hand uh, and raise us up to life. And we be patient with you, for you have been so patient with us. Transform our hearts and our minds, God, so this becomes a reality for us. Not just theory, but we can apply it to our situations today. We can do that by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.